Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to look at the major grape varieties grown in California, starting with Zinfandel, which is the most Californian of all varieties, as it's so intrinsically linked with California, the styles of wine made here, and also the history of wine in California. So Zinfandel's history is quite a complex one, and quite an intriguing one as well, which has taken a long time for people to figure out. It came to California in the 1850s, and it very quickly became the most planted grape variety in California, because it's so well suited to the conditions here. Um, It likes the heat of California, and it produces full-bodied fruity wines, which uh, were very popular with the European immigrants who had settled in California and were making wine here and very similar to the wines, for instance, of Italy, and there are lots of Italian immigrants. So how how did Zinfandel actually get to California? Well, it was a bit of a convoluted route. It arrived in the east coast of the US in 1829, and it came from a horticultural exhibition in Vienna. And the problem was that once it arrived in Boston, what the grape variety actually was had been lost, or had been forgotten, misplaced, so no one was actually quite sure what it was. And it's speculated that it might have been a Hungarian grape called Zinfandali, which is actually a white grape, so obviously not Zinfandel. But that's the name that got attached to it, and it's called Zanfandel, Zanfindel, um, before it finally became settled on Zinfandel. And it was just used as um, a greenhouse grape for table grapes. And so nothing to do with high-quality wine, this being the east coast of the United States, of course. But then, with the uh, gold rush of 1849, lots of immigrants moved to California from the East Coast and brought grape varieties with them, including Zinfandel, and that's how it became so widely planted, although no one was really sure what it was or where it came from. And that was the most planted grape variety in California. Lots of vines, unfortunately, ripped out during Prohibition. And then after the Second World War, when when winemaking got back on its feet, Zinfandel was kind of neglected. It was seen as the everyday workhorse grape, whereas the focus for quality was on Cabernet Sauvignon, for instance. And so Zinfandel was um, overlooked and it's mainly for, for jug wine, the, the wines that locals would go to the winery, get it poured into a jug, and then take it home. It's not particularly high quality. Zinfandel's saving grace, but also it's uh, something that really damaged its reputation, was white Zinfandel. And this was created in the 1970s by accident by Bob Trinquero, the winemaker at Sutter Home. And he was making Zinfandel, and the fermentation got stuck. And the stuck fermentation is generally a bad thing. No one wants that because you want your fermentation to be complete. So you have a dry wine, which is fully developed and fully complex. But he tasted this stuck fermentation and liked it. And the next year he deliberately replicated that fermentation and stopped it at around 9% alcohol. And so what was left was a pink wine from a small contact with the skins that was quite sweet because the sugar had not been fermented to complete dryness. And he marketed this as white Zinfandel and it became extremely popular. The US palate in the 1970s and 1980s, and arguably still today, is not especially developed, and the people in the US really like sweet stuff. They eat lots of sweet food, they have donuts for breakfast. And so having a wine low in body, low in alcohol, and quite sweet really suited the US palate, which is why it was so successful. But of course, once your palate moves on from that basic level of sweetness and lack of complexity, white Zinfandel becomes something that no one wants to drink. And so the reputation of Zinfandel became quite low because it's just associated with this cloyingly sweet wine. 
Unfortunately, it also hurt the reputation of rosé, and it's only in the last four or five years that the reputation of rosé has risen, and people really want to drink rosé again, because before then it was just associated with white Zinfandels as something simple and sweet. So, lots of negative consequences from the rise of white Zinfandel, but what white Zinfandel also did was preserve a lot of the Zinfandel vines which had been planted in the 19th century, because uh, they would they were still used for white Zinfandel. And that's a good thing, because old vines Zinfandel is extremely complex and interesting, really concentrated and structured, and even though it's fruity and ripe and high in alcohol, there's a balance to, to the wines that come from those old vines. So white Zinfandel did preserve those vines, and that's really an integral part of California's wine history and style. So what is Zinfandel exactly? Where did it really come from? Well, there was a winemaker called Mike Grigich. He was the winemaker at Chateau Montalena when they won the Judgment of Paris with their Chardonnay. And he is originally from Croatia. And when he tasted Zinfandel, he said, this is a Croatian grape called Plavish Mali. And no one was completely convinced why on earth would a Croatian grape be in California. But he persisted with that theory. Others speculated that it was the same grape as Primitivo in Italy. And Primitivo comes from Puglia, which is the heel of Italy's boot. So a warm climate like California is even, even hotter. But there it's generally used for blending. And isn't considered particularly high quality, and so people were a bit sceptical that Zinfandel could be Primitivo, but that was definitively proven in the 1990s that Zinfandel and Primitivo were clones of the same variety, so that speculation had been correct. But it also meant that they must have come from somewhere else, because they were not the original grapes, they clones of the same variety, so they must have developed from something different. And so they went to Croatia following Mike Grigic's theory, and they DNA tested Plavish Mali, and found out that Plavish Mali was very closely related to both Zinfandel and Primitivo, but not exactly the same. But it made them think that the grape must have originated in Croatia. And so they tested, DNA tested other vines, and they found nine vines, just nine vines growing wild in Croatia on the Dalmatian coast. And these were called Krelmirak Kastelanski. And they DNA tested these and discovered that this must be the original Zinfandel. This is even though these vines were growing wild and untended, this is where Zinfandel and Primitivo had come from. In actual fact, they then discovered that um, this grape variety had been known as Tribidrag since the 15th century. So there's a great historical provenance to the grape variety in Croatia, which had accidentally found its way to California back in the 1850s through that um, exhibition in Vienna and then the misidentification in Boston before coming with the gold rush. So that's where Zinfandel comes from. And now, um, it's had that knock-on effect. Primitivo in Italy is, is made um, much more widely than it used to be, especially as a single varietal, uh, drawing on the fame of Zinfandel. Probably arrived in Italy in the 18th century, but going from Croatia to Italy is not quite a bigger leap as going from Croatia to California. Krelnia Kastelanski is also being made and propagated, not just grown in the wild as it was 15 years ago. So a lot of uh, changes, and but now we've, we're much more satisfied with the origins of Zinfandel than, than was the case 20 years ago. And Old Vine Zinfandel is very much its own thing, very distinctive, very Californian. It's got that nice dustiness to it, fruity, floral, full, very um, inviting. There is no um, legal definition for Old Vine Zinfandel, but there is an informal classification which says that Old Vine Zinfandel must come from vines which are at least 50 years old. And you may even see ancient vines on the label, and that would be that means the vines are over a hundred years old. So Zinfandel is still not 
considered to be the highest quality grape variety in California, even if it's the most distinctive. That distinction goes to Cabernet Sauvignon. And Cabernet Sauvignon is a much more recent development in California. Andrei Shelyshev, the Russian emigre who did so much after the Second World War to educate winemakers in California, particularly in Napa, but also Sonoma, he um, introduced Cabernet Sauvignon. He said Napa Valley and Cabernet Sauvignon go, should go together and they will produce world-class wines, and that was the case. And now Napa Valley is considered the premium region in California, and 40% of plantings in Napa Valley are of Cabernet Sauvignon. And it likes the climate there. It's warm, though um, you do have cool nights, and it allows the long ripening season for the late ripening Cabernet Sauvignon. And so you get lots of fruit and body and alcohol, generally 14% or more. You've got tannic structure as well, well as well as maintaining the acidity. It's a very... Um, full-bodied, complex wines, which are considered quite age-worthy. Napa Valley, unfortunately, has been a victim of its own success. Land there is incredibly expensive, and so the wines themselves are extremely expensive. And there are a lot of millionaires and billionaires investing in, Calif in Napa Valley because they're the only people that can afford the land there, which keeps the prices very high. The US also has a very um, interesting market. California wines are generally considered very expensive, especially outside the USA. And this is probably true, but this is also because domestic consumers are quite happy to pay more. Wine consumption in the USA is 11, lit 11 litres per head, which is relatively low. But those people who drink wine drink quite a lot of it, and they're willing to pay more than the average, especially for domestic wines, and that keeps the price of the wines high. US drinking has changed quite a bit in the last 30 to 40 years. It's gone from the state of very, very few people drinking it, and those who drank it would be in the East Coast, particularly New York. Now it's more widespread, but it's still in those pockets, uh, usually urban and wealthy areas. And it's still a very developing market. As I said, the consumption is 11 litres per head. That is rising, and it will continue to increase. And so it's a market that can really be tapped into, and that's what the California market is doing very well, even at those higher prices. So Cabernet Sauvignon accounts for about 15% of all wine drunk in the USA. Uh, the US is still very much single varietal driven, so it's most likely that you'll see a great variety on the label, and that's what consumers identify with, and that's what they buy. California is unusual because for a wine to be single varietal labeled, it only has to be 75% of that great variety. So something that says Cabernet Sauvignon on the label may only be 75%, and that's very unusual. Most other regions in the world have 85% rule, Oregon's the other exception, which has 90%. So 75% is very low, and it allows producers quite a lot of leeway to call a wine after a great variety, but have 25% of something else. And the bizarre thing about this is that US consumers will say that they don't like blends, which is a completely meaningless statement, even more so given that the single varietal wines they often drink are probably blends. So you're probably familiar with the film Sideways, a famous wine movie from 2004. And that was famous for one of the characters discussed at the, the grape Merlot. And the fall in popularity of Merlot and the rise in popularity of Pinot Noir is often associated with this film. And that's a bit of a simplistic take on it. There's, the truth is that in the 90s, when there was a boom in Merlot, which we'll talk about more in the episode on Washington, was pretty low quality and expensive stuff for people who didn't really like wine but wanted to drink it for health reasons. So by 2004, Merlot had a bad re reputation, which was based on winemaking rather than the grape itself. Whereas Pinot Noir was becoming more popular, and Pinot Noir was being made good quality, 
more expensive wines, so that was associated with higher quality. And now Merlot accounts for about 9% of all the wine drunk in the USA, and Pinot Noir for about 7%. So Pinot Noir has risen, but that's simply, again, about winemaking. Pinot Noir used to be made rather like Cabernet Sauvignon. Very ripe grapes, so very full-bodied Pinot, lots of extraction, probably some oak or oak substitutes used to create a very full-bodied style of Pinot Noir. But over time, this has changed. It mean much better and much more closely um, thought about site selection, looking for cooler sites to produce more balanced, restrained Pinot Noir. And this is particularly true in Santa Barbara, which had no grape plantings up until the 1980s. And then Pinot Noir was the grape which really excelled there because even though it's in Southern California, the, the coastal influence is extremely cooling and produces very good quality Pinot Noir. Also in Sonoma, in Russian River Valley and also Sonoma Coast. Again, the coastal effect is cooling and that produces very good conditions for Pinot Noir. And these will still be fruity styles of Pinot Noir, much more so than Burgundy, but still very well balanced. And so there's been a lot of changes in how Pinot Noir has been made and where it's been grown from 30, 40 years ago and all going in the right direction. And that reflects the general trends of improvement in wine in California and also more sophisticated drinking habits among domestic consumers. And this is also true of Chardonnay. And so Chardonnay accounts for about 23% of all uh, wine drunk in the US, so by far the most planted and most dominant uh, grape variety in California, remembering that 90% of all wine in the USA is made in California. But despite that popularity of Chardonnay, there is a movement called the ABC, Anything But Chardonnay, and this is a reaction against the style of Chardonnay that was being made in the 90s. In the 1990s and the 2000s, the style in California was for really full-bodied, fruit-forward wines, something that was reflected in Australia as well. And this is true of white wines like Chardonnay. So Chardonnay would be grown on the warmer sites to get as much sugar as possible and as much fruit. Then the wines would go through malolactic fermentation because that's what they do in Burgundy and it's seen as more sophisticated. But when you're picking from a warmer site, the acidity is naturally lower. And so putting the wines through malolactic fermentation makes the wines very heavy. And you get these really rich, creamy, buttery aromas without the refreshing acidity. And then the wines might be put, put um, aged in oak as well, or an oak substitute, to give the wines even more body. And so these wines were popular because, again, if you don't have a particularly sophisticated palate, these really heavy, fruity wines, often termed as cocktail wines, are very obvious and apparent. And you can appreciate them without really having to think about them too much. But again, as the palate gets more sophisticated, then there's a reaction against these styles of wine, hence the anything but Chardonnay movement. But Chardonnay has improved tremendously over the last 10 years, again, due to much better site selection, cooler sites, more considered use of malolactic fermentation and oak to produce some very balanced and complex Chardonnays. And so Chardonnay, again, it all depends on the winemaker, as it does pretty much anywhere around the world, because it's such a neutral grape variety. How, where the grape is grown and how the wine is made really affects the style of wine. And so you'll have a whole range of Chardonnays from unoaked and quite acidic to really rich, heavy, creamy, buttery aromas. And again, all depends on the market that you are targeting. There's a brand in California called Butter, which is what it says, a really buttery Chardonnay, and it's extremely popular at the $15 price range, but then you spend more, more likely to be a more restrained style of Chardonnay. 
So that's, those are the four major grape varieties growing in California, really reflecting the changing trends in Californian wine and how the wines are made and also what consumers expect from the wines. In the next episode, we'll look at the different regions of California. So thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Cake. Thank you.